If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome. This is Medicine in America, a podcast that will share the stories of physicians and other healthcare professionals who are changing the way they practice. We will hear what made them realize they had to reinvent and rethink their approach to treating patients. My name is Anthony Manson. I'm a 20-year-plus veteran of the healthcare industry, and I'm being joined today by my co-host and longtime friend and colleague, Todd Harrington. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. She is the medical director of Kana Center's Wellness and Education, a California-based medical practice devoted entirely to educating patients about the use of cannabis for serious and chronic medical conditions. After years of working in her specialty of pediatric emergency medicine, she developed an interest in the science of medical cannabis. And for the last 13 years, she's evaluated thousands of patients for the use of medical cannabis and is recognized as an expert in the clinical application of cannabis therapeutics. Her latest book is Cannabis is Medicine, How Medical Cannabis and CBD Are Healing Everything from Anxiety to Chronic Pain. Welcome, Dr. Goldstein. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. And my co-host, Todd Harrington, is here as well, of course. Hello. How are you? Good morning, Todd. Yeah, Todd keeps me honest. So uh, as we go along, <laughs> you know, I was reading a lot of material that you've, you've published online and your YouTube channel and very impressive and a lot of things that I didn't know. But certainly in terms of your career path, which is something that we focus on uh, in medicine in America, it's interesting to me how you made a shift. You know, you were clearly practicing in pediatrics for a while, and then all of a sudden you developed an interest in cannabis. And I'm just curious, like what, what made you all of a sudden start to say, hey, cannabis looks like a really powerful therapeutic? Well, you know, I was working graveyard shifts for many years as a pediatric emergency medicine doctor here in Los Angeles. And as you can imagine, it was busy and it was grueling work. I loved it very passionate about it. However, as the years go by and then I got married and had a child, I started to feel like I wasn't really present at home and I wasn't present at work. I mean, I was able to do the work safely and take care of my family, but still I felt like it was just too much. I think a lot of doctors get burned out. I was just reading an article yesterday about doctor burnout. Certainly the pandemic piled on, but I think a lot of us who think we can do it all we are doing it all, but then we realize that we're starting to lose ourselves a little bit. And I wasn't taking care of myself health-wise, and I was just basically just giving all to home and work. And I just got burned out, and I took a leave of absence. And it's so interesting how things happen in your life, right? I took this leave of absence, and during that time, I had a friend who was sick, and she asked me about medical cannabis. And you have to remember in California, we passed a law in 1996. And then this was about 2007-ish, I want to say. I didn't know anything. Here we have a law for over 10 years. And I knew what I knew in college, same, same amount of information, which is basically mm -hmm. nothing. <laughs> so yeah. I looked into it as a favor to her. 
She was struggling with cancer with the side effects of chemo. When I started reading in the scientific literature about how cannabis can help with pain, that there's a system called the endocannabinoid system where it interacts, we didn't even learn about that in medical school. In fact, at the time I was in medical school was when they had were discovering the endocannabinoid system. So there was this whole body of knowledge that I knew nothing about, plus the fact that the state that I lived in had legalized medical cannabis and you know, I, again, was in the dark. And so once I started reading about it, I just became really intrigued by the science. I've always been a bit of a science geek from when I was a little kid. It was her interest and her experience that opened my eyes to it. You know, that, that, that's interesting. I actually want to step back a second. Before we get too into it for the listeners, can you give us just a really brief tutorial on the different, the elements, THC, CBD? It's uh, pretty confusing for some people. and Maybe that'll be helpful to, you know, sure. explain the main receptors in the brain that it impacts. The way you have to look at it is there's human physiology and then there's the plant. Okay. So let's look at human physiology first. We as humans have multiple systems in our body, neurologic system, your cardiovascular system, your respiratory system, your reproductive system, and so on. And that's kind of how doctors learn about the body when you're going through medical school. Mm -hmm. There's this system that kind of connects it all, and it's called the endocannabinoid system. And what this system is, is a physiologic regulator. So think about that, physiologic regulator. What it's doing is it's regulating the messages that all the cells are sending. So lung cells are sending messages, brain cells are sending messages, and your gut cells are sending messages. Well, something needs to be regulating all of that. And there's lots of redundancy in the body so that if one system fails, there's another system. But the endocannabinoid system consists of receptors that sit on cell walls and they're called cannabinoid receptors. And interestingly, they were called orphan receptors until scientists figured out what they did. We have these receptors so that when something is off in terms of these messages, if you over-message or under-message, the body has to be able to recognize that and regulate that and correct the message, right? Let's send the right message. We don't want to be sending an over-message all the time. So what's an example of an over-message? Chronic pain, seizures, nausea, vomiting, that's too much message. Now, some of those messages are adaptive, right? If you eat bad food, it's good that your body sends the message of nausea and vomiting. It recognizes this is poison for you. Get rid of it. That's very adaptive. But what if you're vomiting all the time or mm -hmm. a child is vomiting all the time from some neurologic illness? Or if you're getting chemo, let's say, over a long period of time, right? That's just not good for you. So our endocannabinoid system exists to help regulate those messages and tell the cells, hey, stop sending that over message. That's really all it is. It's like a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to tell you, those receptors are there because we make inner cannabis-like compounds. And it's the plant compounds that just mimic our inner cannabis-like compounds. So that's pretty clear. So why, I mean, do you think do the healthcare providers out there today really understand this? I mean, because it sounds like that seems like very clear. Are they not willing to understand it to, to be used as a therapeutic option? I think what happens is that one, there's this awful statistic out there that says that anything published in a journal doesn't get to a doctor in t like for 17 years. Well, I have heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I was reading an article yesterday. They went around to a bunch of doctors and asked them about, would you treat this particular condition with antibiotics? And the answer is you shouldn't. 
the basic knowledge we have now is that for this particular condition, you should not treat it with antibiotics. 70% of them said, yes, they would treat it. So there's still, there's an educational gap, but you have to remember that in the United States, less than 20% of medical schools teach medical students about the endocannabinoid system. We know that doctors are taught in also in medical school that cannabis is a drug of abuse. And, you know, someone once said to me, doctors are good students. Once you learn something, <laughs> you don't unlearn it. Mm-hmm. And I think also that just the stigma. We, as physicians, we don't live in a, in a vacuum. We're out in the world and we hear all the other propaganda as well. But the way I look at it is we are ultimately scientists. We should be looking at the science. We shouldn't overstate or understate. We should be going by what the science tells us. And we have this endocannabinoid system. There's evidence that there is deficiency or dysfunction in many conditions. So for instance, you know, in my world, I've been doing a little research on how cannabis helps children with autism. Mm -hmm. There's a couple studies, one from Stanford and one from Israel, reporting that children with autism have a deficiency in their inner like cannabis. So if you are missing the compound that helps regulate the messages the brain is sending. Would you leave that person in a deficiency state? No, of course not, especially if they're struggling. So you think about an autistic child having very aggressive behaviors, let's say, or self-injurious behaviors. These are common things that I see in my practice. Mm -hmm. Cannabis helps by, by kind of augmenting that system from outside the body with something that works within that system that's a medicine. I mean, that's the basic tenet of all medicine. When someone has type 1 diabetes, their pancreatic cells are not making insulin. So what do we give them? That's basically an insulin deficiency, right? We give them insulin. Mm-hmm. It's the same concept. And I don't know what the big deal is. It's just science. And we should really, I mean, one of our biggest problems is it's still a schedule one and, and research is prohibited. And so why should we be delving into research. We need to get it off the Controlled Substance Act. Let's do the research. Let's find out which conditions it helps, which conditions it doesn't help. Who should try it? Who shouldn't try it? What dosing should you take? What's the best way to take it? All of that. That that all still needs to be sorted out. The one thing that confuses me about what you said in terms of physician reluctance or, or lack of knowledge, I assume when I talked to a friend of mine who has an autistic child the other day, and I just mentioned the autism and, and cannabis connection and positive results. And I said, have you heard of this? She goes, oh my God, have I heard of this? She goes, I put her on it a couple months ago and I've seen all the difference in the world in terms of her ability to focus, her attention span. And I said, well, did you get it from your physician? She goes, well, when I had took custody over her, I switched physicians and I asked a lot of questions about alternative therapeutic approaches and he was very reluctant to discuss anything other than you know prescriptions. She switched to another doctor who was much more holistic and open-minded, and he got into the whole cannabis options. So it seems strange to me that aren't patients coming to doctors and asking these questions today, given how much attention and press it's getting? Are they prepared to really discuss it is, is my question for you. Right now, physicians, I don't think, can go through a day without somebody asking them about medical cannabis. It is something that there is no question society has accepted, and that certainly people who are ill, who do not have a lot of options, remember, we don't, as physicians, we don't have a lot of cures for things, right? People with Mm -hmm. migraines, they're not cured. Fibromyalgia, not cured. Irritable bowel syndrome, not cured. Autism, not cured. 
lots of conditions that we can't cure, and it's really all about managing them. And cannabis is just a kind of, I, I have always said this, another tool in the toolbox. But some physicians seem to be really adamant, and they just don't seem like they're going to open their mind. They want proof beyond proof beyond proof. And part of that is, I'm sorry to say, they bought the brainwashing. It was probably instilled. They they don't just come from medical school. Remember, before you start medical school, you have a whole life as a child. So maybe somebody's parents drilled it into them, or maybe they saw a relative have an addiction issue and they lump cannabis in with the other drugs. So you have to remember doctors come with all their prejudices as well. However, again, I think as scientists, we have to set that aside and we have to look at the science. One thing I can't blame my colleagues who are not fully buying into this, let's say, is that they want to have proof. And I have to say that I'm a pretty conservative physician. And I think when I first started doing this, I looked at it as harm reduction. Because remember, when I, I, I went into this field in 2008, and for the first five years, I saw just adults, even though I was a pediatric trained doctor, I started seeing adult patients for the use of cannabis. And I kept hearing the same story over and over. Doctor, I got off opioids. I got off sleeping pills. My blood pressure's better. Because I'm sleeping better now, I get up early and I go exercise. It was like I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, to be perfectly honest. How cannabis was improving the quality of life of people who had fairly serious conditions that they had been kind of chasing for years. We all have somebody in our life that we know is struggling with a chronic condition where they haven't found the answer. And although it's cannabis is not curing them, it's an effective tool to manage the symptoms of their condition. Right. And then also behind the scenes, if you know anything about cannabis, all of these compounds are anti-inflammatory, they're antioxidants, and they're neuroprotective. And what are doctors telling everybody now? Eat more plants, eat more plants. Well, this is just another plant. And certainly when used properly, it has tremendous benefits, not just to manage symptoms, but I really believe underlying improvement of inflammatory status and so on. And remember, inflammation is the root cause of many conditions that we see in the clinic. So I think some doctors are just not going to wrap their brains around it, no matter how much they get told about it. But also part of their reluctance is that they really want to see the studies. What I'm here to tell people is that I have read all the studies. That's what I do for a living. I'm pretty one track. I have my face in this all the time. Every study involved in humans that has human clinical trials on cannabis, if you don't want to read any of it, just go to the end or the bottom of the extract and you will see safe and well tolerated, minor to moderate side effects. Mm. We accept medicine in this country that has a side effect of death. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So if I know something is safe and I know it's well tolerated and it's going to be under my neurotic medical supervision... I'm comfortable using it and other doctors should be too. And I know people, maybe someone doesn't trust me. I don't sell the stuff. I just try to manage, you know, with patients. And I think over the last 14 years, I've established myself as a, as a responsible cannabis physician. People, you have to have a little bit of a leap of faith. The same way when a drug rep comes into your office and says, here's some samples. Why don't you hand it out? We do that all the time in the medical field. Here's a mm. plant. Yeah. It's not radioactive plutonium. Under medical supervision, if you know what you're doing, this is absolutely safe. 
And then the thing very focused on the side effects. And they, when you, as you make a point, there's all medicine has some side effects, but that seems to be, oh, well, they're side effects, you know, they're, but they're usually minor, as you say. I mean, obviously it's a balance. You know, I know someone who's actually said it's not for epilepsy. I know a relative who's dealing with that and said it's not a silver bullet, but there's really about it helps with the brain processing, but the balance is tricky. That's what they, they told me. It's too, they actually mentioned too much THC for girls isn't good, but for boys it can help. Is that is a different case with different sex of the, of the patient? We have found some, some differences in sex, but the reality is, is that cannabis is, and this is what's confusing for people. So you buy a bottle, let's say, of, of tincture. So that means a liquid form with a little eyedropper comes mm-hmm. with it. And it says THC on the bottle. So you think it's just THC. Well, it's not. It's over 500 compounds from the plant. In that bottle, THC is the dominant. It should be, of course, if you're using it as medicine, it should have been tested so you know how many milligrams are in the bottle, how many milligrams in a milliliter so you can measure it. Just the same way we measure all medicine. You don't just take a dose and not know what the dose is. But I have found more than just one sex doing better than others. That might be something that has been found in a few studies, which it has been. But I find you, you just have to customize to the patient's needs. And how do you do that? So you start a patient, let's say I have a child, let's say who has autism. And after a conversation with the parent asking every detail under the sun over an hour, investigating, asking them, you know, what have you tried before? How did your child respond? What are the biggest issues? You know, the whole history. And this is part of the art of medicine is after all these years, you get a sense of, oh, okay, so this is where I'm going to start this patient because there's lots of choices within the, within the cannabis medicine cabinet, so to speak. There's high ratio CBD, low ratio CBD, there's straight THC, there's CBD, what's called isolate, which doesn't have all the other compounds. There's cannabigerol, there's something called CBDV, which is more recently on the market, cannabidivarin. There's what we call the acidic cannabinoids, CBDA and THCA. So there's a ton of stuff out there. And the question is, is how do you know where to start or what these compounds do? That's why I wrote my book. And that's why I'm doing the YouTube channel is to educate people. But the reality is, is that I will start a patient on the product that I think or the cannabinoid that I think that will help them based on the scientific data and my clinical experience. And then I have the parents reporting back on a frequent basis. In fact, look, I'll share with you that I saw a new patient last Thursday. And what is it today? Uh, You know, like six days later, I already had probably seven emails back and forth plus two phone calls. It's a little bit labor intensive in the beginning because you're trying to dial into a person's responses. And it's very hard to guess somebody's response when you're using botanical medicine. Botanical medicine is different than pharmaceuticals. Do you think the FDA, I believe they've approved four drugs in the last couple of years that have cannabis derivatives. Do you think that the fact that there's now more evidence, more FDA approval, could that change more physicians' minds? I do think it already has changed physician minds. So in the pediatric population, there's a purified CBD preparation available for three pediatric epilepsies, but I have seen pediatric neurologists prescribe it for other patients who don't have those conditions but have uncontrolled seizures because they've kind of run through the gamut of everything else and they see that it's you know, safe and well-tolerated and insurance will cover it, even with a large copay for some of these families. They're using it off-label, just like they, we use a lot of drugs off-label if you don't have one of those three conditions. But So that's already, I see, changing minds. 
a lot of physicians out there think that the products on the market, on the cannabis market, are not safe or standardized. And to some degree, they're right, not so much about safety, but about the standardization. It's very hard. You know, look, these are grown plants. They're not made in a factory. Mm. So if you're growing your plant and, you know, it's a different time of year uh, and there's a little more humidity in the room or the soil is a bit different, the plants can vary. They have genetics, a genetic makeup that will, as the plant is growing, will respond to the environment. It's kind of like the same way. Think about, uh, you know, uh, a fetus. I mean, if you have someone who's exercising and eating right and, you know, not putting bad things in, that's going to influence how the fetus grows. And the opposite is true. If you're smoking and drinking, you may find Mm -hmm. that the, you know, you're going to have problems. It's the same thing with the plant that it can be vary a little bit. And yes, it does vary. But now what we have, and I've been doing this a long time, I have seen certain companies rise to the occasion, understand that the end user, let's say, is someone with chronic pain or a child with severe epilepsy, and they are making products pretty well consistent bottle to bottle. And how do we know that? Well, you can look at the testing. I used to, before California had testing requirements, which didn't go into effect until 2018. So from 2008 to 2018, I spent a lot of my own money sending products to a lab to get tested so that, or I would have the parents send it in or, you know, an adult patient, let's say, who was decided to grow their own and make their own products. I'd say, you have to get it tested. We have to know what we're treating because medicine is not medicine unless it's reliable medicine. I will give you a, for instance, early on, probably about in 2014 or so, there was a company here in California that was making high CBD, low THC oil uh, for kids with epilepsy, specifically very nice person growing the cannabis and bottling it up. And I had a patient who got great results, completely different kid for about a month with significant reduction of seizures. And what the parents were saying, like cognitively, he was starting to show advancement And then the next month, you know, they get their next bottle, which they're assuming is the same because it has the same label. Well, it turns out it was a different strain or what we call chemical variety or chemovar of cannabis. So it had still had high CBD, but the other compounds were different and he started having seizures again. Hmm. Uh. So that's not medicine, right? We need to have medicine that's consistent. And I understand that a lot of doctors think that the bottles that you buy outside of a pharmaceutical model may not be consistent, but I'm going to disagree with that. I have patients who've been on the same product for years and have done consistently well. Now I will always say, remember there's the hemp market and then there's the medical cannabis market. The medical cannabis market in almost every state has testing requirements, sometimes multiple testing requirements where it has to get tested by the manufacturer and then a third party. But out in the hemp kind of market where you can go online and buy CBD or go into a store and buy it. That is still not regulated at this point. So it's still buyer beware. You can still get testing results from those companies, but it may behoove you if you have a serious illness to go to a third party tester and just have it tested before you use it. Is that kind of what you're talking about? I read something about the whole plant uh, is derived from the entire hemp or marijuana plant. Is that a little more involved, right? Yeah. So whole plant means it's going to have more than just, 
you know, or let's, it's how mother nature gave it to us. Right. That's kind of how we're saying I now gotcha. they talk about something called broad spectrum. Broad spectrum is everything in the plant, but the THC has been removed or mm. bred down. And then there's something called isolate, which is, so for instance, CBD isolate, it sound it is what it says, isolated CBD or a purified CBD, and it doesn't have any of the other compounds. So it's important to point out that in the plant, so what gives cannabis the stinky smell that everybody recognizes, that doesn't come from THC or CBD. Those are cannabinoids. The plant in those over 500 compounds that the plant makes, there's about 140, 150 cannabinoids, THC and CBD being the main ones. That's one family that we call phytocannabinoids. Phyto means plant derived. But there's another group of compounds in the plant called terpenes or terpenoids. And those are very simply essential oils that all plants have. So if you walk into a pine forest and you take that deep breath and you smell pine, what you're smelling is pinene, which is an essential oil that pine trees have a lot of. And so the cannabis plant has lots of different terpenes. And the terpenes and cannabinoids you know, they interact, they affect each other. Terpenes have medicinal properties. So for instance, when people talk about using cannabis for sleep, the recommendation is to use a strain of cannabis or what we call chemovar, strain's not really the right word, even though we use that word, to use a strain of cannabis that's high in a terpene called myrcene. Because think about this. So THC can help you feel sleepy, or it can give you, for the most part, it just kind of changes your mentation, right? It's a psychoactive compound, intoxicating. There are doses of THC that are under what I call, you know, under that threshold. And I do that a lot in my patients. We use low non-intoxicating doses of THC for patients. None, none of my patients are, you know, my pediatric patients are walking around intoxicated. But if you have THC with myrcene, that combination promotes that hypnotic or sedating effect. So a lot of my patients who are using some cannabis at nighttime make sure that their product that they're using contains myrcene because that will help them sleep at night. So by knowing the terpene profile of a plant, you can look and kind of make a guess as to what the effects will be. So if I want to, if, if I'm a doctor and I want to start a practice or focus my practice are there legal issues in terms of depending on the state that you have to deal with when before you start prescribing or recommending? Right. So we call it recommending because it's a schedule one and we're not allowed to prescribe, right? Can't but prescribe. Yeah. every state has their own rules. And so for instance, in California, any MD or DO can recommend cannabis as long as you're in good standing with the medical board. Some other states also allow chiropractors, naturopaths, nurse practitioners to recommend cannabis. Some states have requirements that you take a course, like a certification course, and register with the state. California never did that. It would be nice to have a certification course. I think all physicians should educate themselves before they jump in. There are lots of conferences now that are medical conferences. There's also online educational modules that you can take. CME, do you get yeah. credit? CME, mm-hmm. Yep. And then I put my book out. I feel like my book walks the line between layperson and scientist. I'm trying to capture everybody and just give like a, almost like a primer on, and I break the book down into the endocannabinoid system and then what's the plant, 
how you might use cannabis as medicine and all the various ailments and basically very research-based. And then there's a lovely book by a friend of mine, Dr. Dustin Sulak from Maine, who's a well-known cannabis practitioner. And he put out a book specifically for clinicians and it's called The Handbook of Cannabis for Clinicians. And it just is a little more aimed towards the scientist and he's done a really good job with his book as well. So there's lots of resources out there. You know, it's unfortunate that if you don't learn it in medical school, and remember, when you graduate, you're busy. You probably have a lot of loans <laughs> that you have to pay back. Mm, you are yeah. very busy establishing yourself at, in your field. And then somebody comes in and says, oh, doctor, what about cannabis? And like, you didn't study it. It's not your, it's not really your fault that you don't know about it. I think the medical schools are failing us in this aspect. And that's where I think we have to start targeting some education is towards medical students and residents so that when they come out of that educational period, they are able to at least have a conversation about who might benefit from cannabis, but also some cases are going to need somebody who really knows this well, like someone like myself, like with a complicated or medically complex patient with severe epilepsy and, or a genetic condition. For a family practice doctor who has somebody that comes in with, let's say, just anxiety and insomnia, who's not really excited to take pharmaceuticals and just wants to have something to take the edge off, I do think it behooves those doctors to at least learn a little bit so they can have a, have a conversation and also make some dosing recommendations. And then if the patient doesn't improve, then you send them to a cannabis specialist. Yeah, absolutely. You know, part of our, our show is really talking to physicians. You mentioned burnout and COVID. I think a lot of HCPs are looking for kind of an alternative career path. And you mentioned it before, I think, what would you say to, if someone comes up to you at a conference and says, I really want to focus on, on cannabis in my practice, what's the right path to do that? Do their own research and study and, and go that route? Or is there other ways that they could move into kind of a cannabis center model? Yeah, that's a great question. So first, I would say read a cup, the couple of books that I've mentioned already, my book and Dr. Dustin Sulak's book. If you read those, it will just escalate you from not very much knowledge to a lot of knowledge right away. And then there's a wonderful educational module that I participated in called the Medical Cannabis Institute. It's online. It's taught by a lot of the leaders, pioneers in the field of cannabis. I do a module on epilepsy, and then there's just a, a wonderful, uh, and it's very affordable to be able to educate yourself. And then I would recommend Dr. Dustin Sulak has a program that he educates physicians and then also watching my YouTube videos. And there's some other people out there that have YouTube videos, but also going to conferences. Every year there's a conference that I participate in that we do a full day of education for physicians. And that conference is called CANMED, C-A-N-N-M-E-D. And it's very successful. We get lots of positive feedback from all the clinicians that come to our, it's called the Medical Practicum. And we start at eight o'clock in the morning and we go until five o'clock and it's just a full day of what do you need to know mm -hmm. and, you know, to really advance your knowledge and ramp it up. And then again, there's a lot of clinicians there. So everybody's sharing information and it's a really nice way to get that knowledge. And the reality is, is that you also have to start going to dispensaries 
to see what they have, to educate yourself on the products, because that is part of it too. It's the same way, like during my internship and residency, you learn about the medications you're prescribing. I mean, you can't possibly learn about all of them in medical school, but you have to get some of that on the ground knowledge, so to speak. So I do encourage people to walk into a dispensary, look at the products, read the labels, familiarize yourself with the ways that people are using cannabis, and it will all come together. It's not rocket science. It's physiology, which we already know as physicians, and then just kind of learning about the plant, which you can learn fairly quickly, and then the clinical side of it. Also, it's from the earth. How bad could it be? I mean, really, if you think about it, it's it's grown versus a pharmaceutical. I mean, you have to think, as you said earlier, it's like hundreds, sometimes thousands of years has been been used. So there must be something right working with that. And I think it's the future, too. I mean, I think clearly... I've seen estimates of $15 billion in the yeah. you know, medical therapeutic area. So I think it's a good opportunity for a lot of healthcare professionals to go down that route. I have to say it's extremely rewarding work. Even if I can't, don't achieve results, people are grateful that at least they got a chance to try it and kind of cross it off their list. <laughs> I'll say in my practice, easily 70 to 80% of patients get some benefit. Many of them get great benefit. What other medicine has a 70 to 80% improvement without side effects? Wow. Again, this is, you know, using it properly, again, under medical supervision. I think one of the things that, that we have to remember is it is here. Yeah. The, the train has left, left the station, right? If you're not on that train, you're left behind. Mm -hmm. Patients are going to use it with or without you. And I think as healthcare professionals, it is our job to at least know the basics, to be able to have a conversation, to be able to know about drug interactions, because there are some that, that we need to share with patients, right? Some indications that you might not want to use it. For instance, pe many people don't know this. Um, CBD can increase intraocular pressure. So someone with glaucoma, I might not recommend CBD. That's somebody who actually should have that knowledge, right? And how who's gonna who's gonna tell that? The person selling CBD is gonna tell that to the person who has glaucoma? No, it's gonna be a physician. So I think it's here and we have to embrace it and at least get basic knowledge about it to be able to have that conversation and to be able to take back some of the loosey-goosey-ness that it is out there, you know? I, I mm -hmm. don't like it when non-healthcare professionals are giving people medical advice because it's not always correct. And look, I've walked into dispensaries. They don't know that I'm a cannabis physician and I've gotten complete opposite of what is correct. Right. So someone behind the counter in dispensary should not be giving you medical advice. Well, this has been amazing. Yeah. Excellent conversation. And I think everything you mentioned, Dr. Goldstein is right on in terms of what healthcare professionals and patients should be thinking about and having that conversation. If they need to reach you somewhere, where can you tell us so the listeners know? Oh, sure. So my website is canacenters.com, C-A-N-N-A-C-E-N-T-E-R-S.com. I've got a YouTube channel under my name, Bonnie Goldstein. Remember, Bonnie's without an E, Bonnie Goldstein, MD for YouTube. And also I have an Instagram account where I post a lot of scientific studies and try to break those down as well. And that's Bonnie Goldstein, MD as well. Wonderful. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great questions. 
hope you enjoyed this episode of Medicine in America. We have more episodes coming, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast player and don't forget to rate and review the show. Also, please tell your colleagues and friends about it. Today, I'd like to thank our special guest, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, and my co-host, Todd Harrington. And a special thanks to you, of course, the listener. I'm your host, Anthony Manson. Until next time. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Highway to Health Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Quinby, provides guidance, quality resources, and inspiration for anyone seeking wellness in mind, body, and spirit. There's an episode that you should check out called The Value of Our Emotions, where Jeremy helps listeners understand the role emotions serve and what we can learn about our present state by staying attuned to them. Check out Highway to Health Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.